Today on the Livewire Politics Podcast, it's a Q&A. That's right, you've got questions, we've got answers. And welcome back to a very special episode of the podcast. We're going to be doing a Q&A more off the cusp we got a handful of questions from around the world if you can believe it but first and foremost as always thank you for being here your time is valuable especially now and just appreciate you hanging out with us for a little bit Uh, we'll be doing some rapid fire questions and maybe a little bit more some maybe a little more long-winded than others Um, so with that let's jump right into it our first question is actually from a good friend of mine eric who lives in the pacific northwest and eric asks what do you think about federal troops being deployed to U.S. cities to combat rioting? Well, the answer to that is messy. And for those that are not aware, uh, the Trump administration has recently deployed uh, federal troops to a number of U.S. cities, uh, in particular Portland. Uh, they're on standby, I believe, in Seattle. Uh, Chicago, I know, is on the list. And the topic and more of the controversy comes up about federal authority to deploy troops in these areas. Now, I think this is where it gets messy. On one hand, the mayors of these cities and local leaders are saying publicly that they do not have any problems with rioting. Uh, Safety is not a concern at the moment. And in some cases, even the highest-ranking Democrats uh, are saying that the rioting is a myth in Portland. Jerry Nadler, do you hear me? And then you have the citizens, the business owners. You have everyone with a camera posting video online, which clearly demonstrates that peaceful protesting is being completely ignored, drowned out by the mob. In fact, if you take one minute and just do a quick search on your local Google, Uh, You'll find countless articles referencing breaching of federal courthouse buildings, Molotov cocktails being seized, fireworks being uh, pointed at federal uh, courthouses. Authorities over this past weekend have declared rioting in Portland. I just saw an article last night that said that the current police chief in Seattle had issued a letter to the local community essentially telling them that they're unable to do their job at this point to clear any potential rioting because of the local ordinances that have been placed upon them. Essentially, it's a you're-on-your-own letter. So while there might be a constitutional problem with deploying federal troops, there's not a lot of outcry because people are sick and tired of the lawlessness. They're sick and tired of it. They're sick and tired of turning on the TV and watching anarchists get a free pass. There's a picture of a Whole Foods that has a huge banner that says racism has no place here. We support the black community and every single one of those windows is busted out. This isn't about social justice at this point. You've got anarchy in pockets of these major cities. And while all of that is going on, homicides have increased by 22% in 36 American cities compared to where they were last year. 
New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Milwaukee, all of those are above 20 to upwards of 95%. I think Milwaukee is close to 95% increased over last year. How many times do we see a dozen and a half people shot over a weekend in Chicago? How many times do we see innocent bystanders, children being shot weekend after weekend? And that, my friends, is why you don't hear much of an uproar. Because people, at their very core, want to feel safe. You know, one of my favorite or most impactful books that I read during, uh, during college was The Prince by Machiavelli. And The Prince was actually a basically a how-to guide for leadership. And it was attended for a newly elected prince by the name of Lorenzo de' Medici. Really, it was intended for his eyes only. And it became basically the foundation for political philosophy. Machiavelli is known as one of the godfathers uh, once this was made public. And, you know, one quote that really resonated with me uh, is the following. So long as he keeps his subjects united and loyal, a prince ought not mind to gain a reputation for cruelty. And what that really means is that a ruler or president or prince or king is not the people's model for virtue, but rather it's someone who maintains order. And you can afford to have a reputation for a little cruelty or, or meanness if it means that people are secure and the streets are safe. Because sometimes Machiavelli would argue that when rulers show too much compassion, in the end, it only causes more turmoil, disorder, and more problems. And yes, this is a more darker, realist perspective of the world. But if we really think about it, it speaks to our very core primal needs. Or you can reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Safety is, in fact, a basic fundamental need, most important among everything else. All right, so that's my answer. <laughs> Next question is from Jerry in Utah. And Jerry has a question about taxation. Jerry asks, we always hear we need to tax the rich. What are your thoughts on this? Are they paying their fair share? Well, it's a good question. And this really isn't a yes or no type of question. You know, I think the best way to maybe provide some color to that question is to look at what are the current levels of taxation for those that are making above 250000 right? The 1%, the income group that we always seem to go to when we need to raise more money. Well, there was a video about five or six years ago that was done by Bill Whittle, and he was he was illustrating that if you were to essentially take everyone in America that was making over $250,000 and you not only tax them, but tax them at 100% of income, everyone over 250, 100% taxation on income, that would run the country for about f almost six months. If you were to take every single billionaire and just kill them off, take all of their wealth, every single penny. So at this point, we have everyone making over 250000 100% taxed. Every single billionaire's net worth, all of it, you could run the country for about 
11 months. You can't even get through the entire fiscal year without taking everything from the very group of people that we feel hasn't paid their fair share. Well, that 1% pays over 40% of all the federal income tax. What I've demonstrated is that we don't have a taxation problem. We have a spending problem. We have increased budgets year over year, and we've never been able to keep up with them. You know, we hear time and time again, you know, about the 90% plus uh, rate of income tax during the 1950s. You know, the glory years where we were doing quite well. The taxes were so high and we were doing great. You know, this is touted time and time again. Well, that may have been the case, but once you actually uncover the amount of revenue that was collected under that tax rate, you'll find that nobody really paid that. In fact, most folks didn't pay anything near that rate. Because you know what people do when they realize that they're giving away 90% of their income? Well, I'll tell you what, they invested somewhere else. And it sure as heck isn't going to be on domestic soil. You know, there's what's called the Laffer Curve. There's some good videos on it. L-A-F-F-E-R. And I was actually first exposed to the Laffer Curve while watching Ferris Bueller. In fact, not only was I exposed to the Laffer Curve, but also the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act. That's right. Ferris Bueller. Economics 101. So the Laffer Curve really came into play in the 80s. And you might be looking for an example. All right, Dave. So you say this this whole thing is, is based on marginal tax rates. All right, well... Can you point to a time where we've lowered that top marginal tax rate significantly? And what was the result? Well, we did that in the 80s under Reagan. Top marginal tax rate was over 70%, if I remember correctly. And, you know, uh, Reagan lowered that top marginal tax rate. And guess what? Revenues increased. So really, when I'm ever trying to look for an economic model or theory or policy I try to go back to what I feel is going to work in the real world under real life circumstances and try to think for yourself and don't get caught up in the slogans and bullet points of class warfare. You know, every time I see someone say, how can somebody like Jeff Bezos, how can somebody be worth a hundred billion dollars? That is, that's too much for anyone to be having that much money. This is insane. Uh, he's increased his net worth it by 13 billion dollars in one day jeff bezos does not have a hundred billion dollars in his bank account amazon has a trillion dollars of market cap therefore he's only really absorbed 10 percent of what he has actually produced and most of that is in the form of stock and i know that's an unpopular opinion i know it's not going to land softly with most people but when I hear statements like we need to tax the rich at what we did in the 50s, 90% tax them, they need to pay their fair share. I think about incentives for investment. I think about the 840,000 jobs that Amazon has created. I think about incentives for investment. You know, people say, well, you know, they don't pay any federal, they pay no taxes. Well, the asterisk to that statement is they may not pay any federal income tax. That statement may be true. But when people say they don't pay any taxes, that's a complete lie. 
they pay hundreds of millions of taxes on the local, state, and even the national level in many respects. They put hundreds of millions of dollars back into research and development, back into the company, so that the company can then reinvest in their employees. And you say, oh, well, Dave, I don't know about that. I, you know, the, all these companies are, they're just going to take, 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 and they're not going to give, give, give. Well, I'll tell you what, in a mobile economy with intense competition, companies are going to have to raise wages. They're going to have to increase benefits in order to find the best talent. All right, so we got off on a little bit of a soapbox. Next question. This one is from Jean, Jean or John, from France. It's international. Yeah, you didn't know the Live Wire Politics podcast has an international audience, don't you know? Jean's question is this. What got you into politics? Well, it was actually probably a couple years out of high school. And, you know, I was starting to get more interested in, in life and what it had to offer, uh, history and politics, you know, kind of go hand in hand in many respects. And, you know, I started to get more involved and I, and I watched a debate in 2000, I want to say 2006, 2007. It was a Republican national debate. And I saw this guy, Ron Paul, stand on the debate stage and say some of the most interesting things I've ever come to hear at that point, talking about topics that were never discussed on a debate stage. I heard terms like the military-industrial complex. I heard terms like the medical-industrial complex. I heard discussions about the Federal Reserve, fiat money, monetary policy. He was the only guy on stage that was against the war in Iraq. And I just thought, I don't know if I agree with this or not, but this guy has made things really interesting. And wow, what courage to stand up on a platform where essentially you're the odd man out and you are staying true to your principles. And then I looked up this guy's history, 10 term plus congressman from Texas, constitutional conservative, has been saying the same thing more or less his entire career. I thought, wow, what a principled guy this is. Here's a guy that actually gave a portion of his salary back to the congressional fund. I mean, talk about principled. And I, and I thought, you know, this guy, and I got really involved with his campaign uh, back in 2008, and that really kind of set me on a trajectory, you know, of ideas and exploring ideas. Um, I eventually changed my major. I was a business major, changed it to political science, half, half the math, uh, more fun. <laughs> I always figured out I could get an A by writing a paper as opposed to uh, solving an equation. <clears throat> but, you know, hey, that's, that's, that was my journey. And so that really got me on my course. And, you know, I think I have a passion for it. I think anyone who sets aside the rhetoric and some of the, you know, venom spewing that we see on the national level in our mainstream media networks, once you get back to the core of ideas and you understand liberty, you understand natural rights, you understand how we've been able to evolve this republic generation after generation. Once you grab hold to the sacrifices that were made before us, once you are in awe of the technological advances we've made as a society and what conditions we provided in order to make those monumental 
findings happen. Once you realize that this is a collection of people making decisions about how to best live and operate our lives, and you realize that not everyone feels the same way, and you realize that human nature, while gray and messy, is predictable. When you hear the philosophies of Marx and Frederick Engels and Lenin and Zidong and Trotsky, you realize that this has already been tried. And it's just recycled. But if you're not aware of that, you're going to fall into the same traps that other generations before us fell into. Wanted to get to the last couple questions here. I wanted to keep this episode under 20 minutes. This next question is from Linda in Utah. And Linda wants to know, what do you think the most pressing issue for our nation is currently? Well, right off the top of my head, it's civility. You know, I read a poll that was published by the Cato Institute, I think it was last week, that said more people now are feeling like they are unable to express unpopular opinions. And there's a blog on our website uh, that was done a couple years ago, and it's called Make Civility Great Again. And, you know, we talked about corporate speech, and, you know, this is the time when, you know, Roseanne was hopped up on Ambien and said some stupid stuff on Twitter and got her show canceled. But what I remember from that blog was, you know, a quote from an anonymous person that said, if you never cross the line, you'll never know where it is. And I think that's kind of where we're at at this juncture. And my biggest fear is that we've created a culture that is overly combative, overly sensitive, reactive, and thrives on canceling anything and everything. It is a culture that is now incivil. It's a culture that is bullying one another. And we've lost our ability to connect with people. You know, I stopped commenting recently on public posts, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. I, I just stopped doing it. And in, in hopes that if I found someone that posted something that maybe I didn't agree with, or maybe some, you know, maybe, maybe it was an incomplete picture of something, and I wanted to share some ideas. You know, I'd start private messaging people instead. Sometimes I feel like when you post something in a comment thread, someone has a personal duty to defend themselves in a way where you're not really going to be reaching them on a, on a personal level. So I started sending some personal invites to people, you know, just messages and, you know, maybe some, some links, some resources that might help. You know, I found a few people didn't respond. A few people did. And we had some good conversations, but a few didn't. And I think if that one person happens to be listening to this episode at this point, reach back out to me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. And if you are listening to this episode, it just shows that you are open. And so am I. So feel free to reach back out. I'd love to have that discussion with you. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the Q&A episode, our very first. Hope you liked it. Uh, love to know your feedback. Uh, last couple videos uh, that have been posted on uh, Facebook and Instagram have, have gotten a lot of nice traction. You know, I, the last uh, episode, uh, Defund the PD, been the second most popular podcast episode that we've had. And, you know, very thankful to say that uh, we've received some good feedback and I just appreciate all of the support. Uh, we do have a Patreon link that is available if you'd like to support us. And this week, we would also like to support the 
Shriners Children's Hospital. They do great work uh, for kids. They're, they're a nationwide organization, a great 501c. And we'll be leaving a link in the comments if you'd like to make a donation uh, to Shriners Hospitals. Hope everyone has a great week and can't wait to keep the discussion rolling. Be civil with each other. Make civility great again. Take care, my friends.